Hey, everybody, I'm Tim Muma, and you're locked on to localjobnetwork.com radio. This is Employment Notebook, the podcast for discussing any workplace concerns you may have as we speak with experienced professionals who help us navigate through some occasional muddy waters. Now, in this episode, we're talking about the idea of beauty bias and how perceived attractiveness can play a role in hiring and influence within an organization. On the phone to examine this somewhat controversial topic, we have Susan Piles, Senior Talent Consultant and Trainer for ERC in Ohio. Susan, thanks for coming on the show today. Sure. Thanks, Tim, for having me. Now, it is a very interesting uh, subject to talk about, but before we jumped into the meat itself, we just want to give you an opportunity to fill our listeners in on where you're coming from, your professional experience, especially as we can relate it to the subject. Sure, absolutely. So you already mentioned my title, and um, I do a fair amount of work here at ERC training managers, leaders, and HR professionals on behavioral interviewing, interviewing best practices, and really focusing on how to select the best candidate for the job. It obviously falls in line with some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. And again, this idea of beauty bias. Now for yourself, when you hear that term, when it comes to hiring or anything in the workplace, how do you describe what beauty bias is? Well, essentially, it's suggesting that there is influence in someone's decision-making based on a person's um, looks. So the interesting thing about the research, though, is that Um, beauty has been shown to be an advantage in some instances and a disadvantage in others. So the bias can go either way. Okay. And we'll definitely touch on that in a little bit here. Why do you think it is important to talk about this, even if it is controversial and some people might feel uncomfortable discussing it? Why do you still think it's important for people to hear about it and understand what possibly could be going on? Certainly. I mean, we when we train classes, we talk about common evaluation errors. And a lot of times, um, managers and HR professionals are not aware of some of their hidden biases, and they're not aware of common evaluation errors. And it's very easy for someone to fall prey to things like a beauty bias or a first impression or gut feeling. Okay. And a lot of times, those things will interfere with someone making a good hiring decision or a good decision on the job in general. So I think it's important for people to be aware of all the different things out there that influence us that we may or may not be realizing are factoring into our decision making. And we obviously hope that we can help out our listeners in the same way here. And the idea, as you said, just to be aware, whether you agree or disagree, uh, as you mentioned, there's research that does show that there is some impact with some of these uh, the areas we're talking about. So let's jump into some of the details specifically. Of course, you know, perceived attractiveness that can be you know, it's subjective, though we can all probably acknowledge there are certain things that in general people tend to be more attracted to. How exactly does it impact things like influence or I had the term that I've seen likability in the workplace? How does that all sort of work uh, as a general conversation? Well, there is some research that um, has been done that suggests that kind of the general pool of advantages is that beautiful people have a tendency to get higher salaries, better performance um, evaluations, Uh higher levels of admission to college, and things like that. So there has been a fair amount of research that suggests that there are certain advantages. And, you know, there have been studies where people have looked at pictures and, uh, for example, identified CEOs as more competent if they were Hmm. attractive. Um, So there are certainly factors where um, attractiveness plays a role in how people are perceived. Uh, Managers were perceived in some instances as better managers if they were more attractive. So, you know, I think a lot of times what happens is it's it's a hidden bias and we don't even realize that we're doing it. 
Do you recognize or in any of that research, does it mention why exactly? I mean, why? Because I may think somebody's more attractive. I see them as more confident or I see them as someone I'd want to work with. I mean, is there any psychology behind that or anything you've seen? Well, I'll mention two things. The one thing is that what they found, too, when they've done the studies where they've looked at pictures is that the thing that influences person a person's rating of attractiveness is symmetry in a person's okay. face. So the more symmetrical a person's face is on the left and the right-hand side, the more they are viewed or considered attractive. So right. that's kind of one of the, the factors. But it also just looks at how people are, I mean, taller men are considered more attractive. Um, there are a number of different uh, factors that will allow someone to rate someone or categorize someone as attractive. That definitely makes more sense. I mean, it makes sense in terms of uh, specific traits you're talking about there. And for anyone who is interested, we did the show a while back called Scrambled Eggs. And uh, we did talk with a psychologist about some of those physical traits you're talking about. So if you're interested, go to LJ and radio and, and find that. In terms of, you know, you mentioned that the research shows there are advantages to it, but there also may be some disadvantages to being quote unquote attractive. What are some of those challenges that those people might have to overcome? Yeah, so really one of the main things is that the key thing with men is in almost all instances, attractiveness was an asset for them. So um, in all situations, if they were attractive, that was an advantage or benefit. With women, it was different. What the research and studies have shown is that women who are attractive, that are who are applying for traditional female roles, had a tendency to be viewed or considered it was an advantage for them. Women who were attractive but who were applying for more traditionally male roles, um, that served to be a disadvantage for them. So areas like director of finance, director of research and development, things like that, they were viewed as a less likely candidate, a less competent candidate Mm -hmm. than positions like receptionist and secretary. They also did a study where they had people categorize um, women into buckets of where they were best suited for a job, and the attractive women were dismissed for roles again, like you know, um, on construction sites and things like that. But huh. put more in some of the traditional roles. So, in other words, I think we still, as a society, have a tendency to um, view people as fitting in certain buckets, and if that look doesn't match that position, then it's actually a disadvantage. Sure. And the women that have been interviewed have felt as though in their career, some women feel as though their attractiveness has been an asset, and some women feel as though their attractiveness has not been an asset in right. terms of their career succession. Well, let me let me try to get you in a little bit of trouble here. Uh, you know, Obviously, being a female, if you were going into a situation or maybe you're talking with somebody and they're going into one of those traditional male roles, would there ever be a discussion of sort of trying to limit, quote unquote, the attractiveness? Or if you're in a position that it might help you, do you try to amp that up? I mean, what's sort of your general thought on that? And Because you you obviously see it on both sides, being in training for managers and in that sort of area. What what would an, a possible employee do in that situation, a job seeker? What would, what would be your advice? Well, I mean, it's a good, it's certainly a good question. It's um, sometimes hard to overcome these challenges. I would say that I don't think that, I mean, it certainly wouldn't be a bad idea to underplay maybe your um, your attractiveness if you were trying to seek out a traditional male role. And I think, though, that the opposite is a little bit more dicey, you know, kind of to play it up, I think, has a little bit more of a risk to it okay. because that's something that, um, you know, kind of gets you in trouble. So. Right. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to necessarily put you on the spot, but I just figure you have experience in that area um, in terms of what you're talking about, too, 
when you're an employer, when you're looking to hire then, what do you tell those managers as far as trying to avoid those biases? I mean, are, are there any tips or tricks or anything to help avoid falling into that trap as you talked about earlier? Sure, absolutely. And even just to follow up on your last question, I think for the woman too, I think you need to focus and direct the conversation to your skills and your competencies. Right. That there's less of an opportunity for them to be using the, you know, kind of the beauty bias factor. And with managers, we train them specifically on identifying what are the critical skills. Every job has critical skills that are required in order to be, to be successful in that position. And we train them to develop very specific behavior-based questions around those skills. If you do that, you are going to be much more likely to gain the valuable and appropriate information that will allow you to make an effective decision. And you'll be less prone to bias if you collect the correct information. Sure. Now, one thing I had wondered is, you know, this is past the hiring. So say you have a pool of, of people within your organization. Um, I'm thinking maybe like in sales or something where you're going to be in front of people. Do you see it as unethical or is it okay to sort of play up one way or the other? And I'll explain a little bit better. I'm a huge lover of sports. So you're always looking at trying to find the advantages and disadvantages. So if you're going to be going to present to a group of men who maybe are perceived as as being, you know, more on the, the male chauvinist side, is it ethical or is it right to send a female in or vice versa? If it's a group of women, send an attractive male in. I mean, does that ever get discussed? Is that something that crosses that line of, of ethics? And what's sort of your take on that? Well, and I think that, you know, I think the main thing to look at is less of, you know, going into the ethics piece and more of saying, you know, who's really the best person okay. to this, let's say, presentation? Sure. You know, who has the best information? Who's going to be able to answer the questions best? Who's going to be able to relate to the audience best? Are there people in the audience that this person knows? So I think if you start in more of a grounded place, you will find that you have less of a need to be asking those other questions about, is it ethical to send this person or that person? I don't think you should start with, should we send the attractive woman or the tall man? We should start with, what are the key pieces in terms of competency that we need to achieve this goal with this meeting? And then that will probably end up leading you to the right person. That's a perfect way to put it. I think that's a, a definite thing that listeners should pay attention to, and I appreciate you going that route with it. One where one area I wanted to come up uh, to talk about as well was the Abercrombie and Fitch case, and I'm not sure how, how many people know about it, but uh, basically it was talking about that they originally had the idea of having an American look, and that wasn't okay, but it seemed okay to focus on hiring for good looks, um, the idea being that with the American look, you weren't involving different races potentially, and that, that obviously would be a protected class. But the idea of good looks appeared to be fine, at least according to the way everything was written up. Is it technically legal to base decision on an attractive person, You know, almost treating it like a skill in a way? Or what does the law say about hiring based on looks? Well, it's certainly in a state of flux, and it's changing all the time. There's been recent research, um, for example, that in Michigan, they forbid discrimination based on height or weight. Um, there are a number of areas of the country where uh, morbid obesity is uh, considered a protected class in okay. terms of physical appearance or it's considered a disability. Also in the District of Columbia, personal appearance is a protected category. Um, so what's happening, and then there was another study in Massachusetts where the EEOC initiated an investigation into a Massachusetts-based coffee chain for allegedly hiring only attractive women. So it doesn't mean necessarily, it's, we're not yet at the place where what is legal and illegal, which cases have been won and lost. It's right. more that 
um, what we're finding is that um, the courts are allowing these cases to come to trial. Like the New Jersey Supreme Court just ruled that discrimination based on age in terms of youth, so reverse discrimination based on age, was actionable under the state's anti-discrimination law. Hmm. So my point is that, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope, and there's a lot out there that is to be determined, and people are really going down a dangerous path if they are making that their primary criteria. Sure. And, it, you know, to your point, that's why you obviously see it as important to training managers uh, when it comes to hiring, especially, and, and focusing on the aspects that do truly matter, not obviously the looks portion of it. So I appreciate you going um, and talking about those those different areas that are protected and how, uh, you know, things might be changing a little bit on the landscape. Another thought I had, though, what about positions where a person is appearing to the public? And the examples I have were, uh, you know, news anchors who, of course, you want them to be skilled in what they're doing, but there might be an attractiveness piece to it and and how they look on camera or maybe public relations professionals when they're representing an organization um, do looks. What's sort of the idea of looks there? Is it okay if that plays at least some factor into it? Yeah. And if you notice, even with, um, you know, public figures and especially news broadcast um, personnel, you'll notice that a lot of the anchor men and women, um, they're broadening their, you know, kind of collection of individuals in terms of, um, you know, not only all the protected classes, but even, um, you know, men and women who have varying levels of, you know, physical fitness and attractiveness, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So um, I had, there's not as much research on that with regard to areas where it's a critical piece like marketing or public appearance. I mean, there is research that shows that public officials um, have a better chance of getting voted in if okay. they are attractive. Research is out there, but not so much around the other. So I think that remains to be seen. What we'll have to wait and see is if a case like that, you know, when cases like that come to court, will they, will those companies be able to say, you know, ratings are a critical part of our business and we need people who have, you know, a certain type of appearance in order to achieve those ratings. And I think that's what it's going to come down to is, you know, there there was a, you know, when even when it comes to um, some physical disabilities and some of the protected classes, there's kind of a clause that says, you know, you don't have to go above and beyond to the point where it's a detriment to your business and your ability to function and operate. So sure. I'm probably not using using the exact correct terms there, but, you know, it's it's really looking at what is the business need. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I, and I think of something like maybe you, uh, you know, going back to the news side of things, Maybe you're in the southwestern part of the United States, so you might want more individuals who might appeal to a Hispanic population. Um, Again, it's not necessarily looking at attractiveness, but finding those right matches. I mean, you would acknowledge that does go on and that there is some probable benefit to it, correct? Correct, correct. I mean, you know, I mean, that's the piece where you have to say to what degree do we have a representative, you know, population or, or do we have our, and again, it goes back to the what is the goal of the job? Do we need the person in the job to be able to relate to a certain audience? Mm-hmm. There's been research recently that I've read about healthcare where patients want to have a choice of um, ethnicity and that they showed that the care provided was better when the doctor was of similar ethnicity to the patient and there was a better connection and the information flowed more freely and that type of thing. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, but there was another piece of research I thought was interesting that talked about customer preferences um, are a business consideration but have frequently been determined to be linked to unlawful employment practices. So mm-hmm. in other words, if you 
if you just go along with what your customers prefer, that can get you in hot water too because they may prefer people where you then would be, you know, ruling out people in protected classes. So, sure. you know, there's a lot of considerations, and right. that's why people should. I always say when people ask me in class, is this illegal or legal, I say you're asking the wrong question. What you need to be asking mm. yourself is, the key things necessary for this job and if you can be clear on that and you would be able to prove that in a court of law then you don't need to worry as much about the rest of it because you are hiring for these specific skill sets i like that and that fits fits perfectly and that's why it's good to have these conversations you know whether it might make some people uncomfortable or not it's important to, to be talking about this and that's certainly interesting i didn't hear about the the doctors in terms of people you know feeling like they're getting better service that way and um, i think that's something that will probably be talked about quite a bit moving forward Another area where I feel like those lines get blurred a little bit, and we hear it, of course, all the time, and it's talked about openly, and that's in terms of dressing well and professionally and, and looking well-groomed, especially if you're talking about you know, going in for a job interview. How is this different than the idea of beauty bias? Because this clearly seems okay, and you essentially can pick one candidate over another because they came in, you know, this guy came in in a suit, another person came in in, in just a polo shirt. Not that you're going to hire based on that, but we talk about it all the time that that matters. So how is that different than just the idea of a beauty bias? Yeah, and there was another case where there was a woman um, with a uh, Citibank who sued because she was let go um, for following the same dress code as other women, but the clothes looked different on her because of her body. Ah. She was told that it was distracting um, and that she should wear something else. And so she did sue for disparate treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the the point then in the research was that, you know, what's what we train to, HR policies need to be applicable to everyone. If you have a dress code, it needs to be applicable to, you know, let's say your dress code for women needs to be applicable to all women. Your dress code for men, all men. Um, you can't have dress codes that um, are varied based on a person's body shape or size. So that's where um, a lot of times we need to start with what is appropriate across the board and how do we hold people accountable to that regardless. You know, a short skirt is a short skirt is a short skirt, right? Yeah. Or wearing a you know, jacket with pants. So, uh, you know, there, there shouldn't be different, you know, hem hemlines for different size and shapes of women. Right. Well, what about in the interview itself? Because, I mean, clearly, as a job seeker, you should be making a good impression, obviously. But, again, shouldn't it come down to that person's skills and experience versus wearing, you know, nice clothes coming in versus just wearing casual clothes? Well, you know, and that's interesting because, the, you know, with the, with the what I call the younger, right, since I'm no longer young, younger generation, <laughs> um, they have very different viewpoints on dress, um, the, you know, kind of older, quote-unquote, uh, generations mm-hmm. were more conservative with regard to interview dress. But I think what you have to ask yourself is what is accepted in the in our business and what is required? I, in fact, I just worked with a client the other day that is um, a very, you know, technology, innovation, very kind of leading edge uh, startup. And they said, you know, we may be creative and, you know, new age and, you know, have all these um, interesting things that types of projects and work that we do, but our clients still want someone that looks professional. That's sure. So they still want someone that dresses in a suit, that shows up and presents themselves appropriately. They don't want someone that is going to show up, you know, in casual clothes because that is not what they're looking for from, you know, a, a partner, a business consultant. So I think that's what it really comes down to is what are your, um, either your internal customers, your external customers going to expect 
And I always tell people in the interview, you're showing the potential employer, this is the best that I can bring to the table in terms of professionalism. Mm -hmm. So if you are dressed casually, that says to the employer that in a situation that requires a higher level of professionalism, you may not be able to rise to the occasion. That is very well put. I can't have any argument for that one. So uh, moving forward back to the idea of, of attractiveness, and I think this is actually, this website was mentioned in an article from ERC, and it's this beautifulpeople.com. And the focus there is to literally have employers go to just hire attractive people. And attractiveness, from what I saw, is based on a vote online there. What what are your thoughts on something like that and, and in terms of what, what role that could possibly play in, in the workforce? Yeah, and I looked at the website myself briefly. Um, you kind of have to be a member to get right. more engaged in it, which I don't have an interest <laughs> in doing. Um, no, nor did I. Sorry. Nor did I. <laughs> sorry, beautifulpeople.com. Um, but I, it sounds also like I read an article um, from a gentleman that was involved in it and said that the, the um, once you're in, you can seek out. So it's more for job seekers okay. to um, – find opportunities with companies that are quote-unquote looking for beautiful people. Um, But I think, again, you know, you're probably starting from the wrong, what I would call the wrong place of, you know, let's say that you're a company that says, gosh, we want to start with beautiful people. You still, though, have to, or at least I would advocate, you know, they still need to go back through and say, you know, do they possess the critical skill sets? And it seems like it would be much more efficient and certainly it would be much more advisable and effective to do your marketing and your um, sourcing based on who meets the criteria um, and worry less about, right, the attractiveness piece. So, but, you know, we don't know what companies are out there. I don't know if it's modeling agencies. Sure. I, you know, I don't know what the specifics are there. But I always say people should start from the right place, right? Ask the right questions first. Start from the right place, and you will avoid um, getting yourself into um, hot water. Right. Now, you know, you've touched on a number of, uh, you know, different areas, how it can be, um, dangerous, so to speak, to be hiring based on looks. Was there anything you wanted to emphasize specifically as far as what trouble you might be, you know, getting yourself into if you're focusing so much on the idea of attractiveness when you're looking to hire someone, especially? Well, I mean, I guess there's a couple of things that we haven't covered. One is that, and I read this in an article too recently, which I thought was so fitting, was that your biggest miss is that you might miss out on someone that's a great talent mm. because you're looking. You can't see, you know, beyond. There was actually another piece of research that said even, um, you know, physical uh, facial disfigurement uh, is now uh, might be, you know, people have sued over that uh, with regard to um, discrimination. Sure. Um, and so my point is that, you know, if you would, what you want in your company is the best talent out there. Um, there's actually some selection assessments out there that um, assess for what they call raw talent, and that is the whole point of, you know, how do we assess on things like, you know, work intensity or achiever theme or some of those other themes that will give you far more leverage than the person's appearance. I think that's probably the biggest piece uh, that you would need to be concerned with. And the other is that you just don't want to, you know, I always say don't worry about what is illegal, worry about what is the best way to operate. Because sure. I think what we're going to see with this whole area is that more and more people are going to be facing lawsuits. And, um, you know, eventually it's going to be a practice where, you know, people have 
a lot of challenges in that area. So, you know, you don't want to miss out on the good talent that's out there. And right. the, the other thing I guess I'll just end with is, you know, there is that saying that beauty is the eye of the beholder. And granted, you know, there are, you know, certain people who unequivocally people say, yes, they are attractive. Uh, they actually just read an article, too, on, you know, all of the movie stars and millionaires um, who are men who are uh, shorter, considered shorter in stature than the standard height for men. And they said that kind of dispels this whole theory of, you know, tall men are more attractive and do better in life. So there's always those exceptions, and you don't want to get yourself in a position where, you know, you have people that are in kind of that general attractiveness category, but you have people that can offer a lot more. Well, you summed up everything we talked about very nicely there. So we will wrap things up here on this edition of Employment Notebook, a part of LJN Radio. We have been speaking with Susan Piles, Senior Talent Consultant and Trainer for ERC, and I think she has clearly helped our listeners get a handle on this idea of beauty bias and help our listeners sort of navigate through what can be a tricky situation. So thanks once again. Thank you, Tim. I probably should have mentioned if people want more um, articles like this, they can go to our website at yourerc.com, and we have an HR Insights blog, which contains other articles of this nature that might be of interest to them. Yeah, definitely some good resources out there from ERC, and I I would encourage you also to check that out. Of course, we also want to hear from you, the listeners, if you have any comments or suggestions. Just shoot us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com if you do have any thoughts related to any of our podcasts that we are recording here in LJN Radio. Once again, everybody, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care.